Hello, everybody. I'm Kim Scott, co-host of the Just Work podcast. And with me is the great... So I'm her co-host, Wesley Faulkner, and we have Ron here. And Kim, could you introduce Ron? Absolutely. Ron Carucci is... Am I saying your name right, Ron? You I want are. to double check. Yeah, you okay. are. Ron Carucci is co-founder and managing partner at Navalent. Am I saying that right? Navalent? You are. Two for two. Right. I'm, I am doing well today working with CEOs and executives, pursuing transformational change for their organizations, leaders, and industries. He has a 30-year track record helping executives tackle challenges of strategy, organization, and leadership. From startups to Fortune 10s, nonprofits to heads of state, turnarounds to new markets and strategies, overhauling leadership and culture to redesigning for growth. He has helped organizations articulate strategies that lead to accelerated growth and design organizations that can execute those strategies. He has worked in more than 25 countries on four continents. He is the author of nine books, my gosh, uh, yeah, I, I uh, bow, at, uh, including the Amazon number one, Rising to Power, and the recently released multi-award winning, To Be Honest, lead with the power of truth, justice, and purpose. He is a popular contributor to the Harvard Business Review, where Navalent's work on leadership was named one of 2016's management ideas that mattered most. He is also a regular contributor to Forbes and three-time TEDx speaker, one of which on the topic of power has been viewed 1.3 million times. His work's been featured in Fortune, CEO Magazine, Inc., Business Insider, MSNBC, Business Week, Inc., Fast Company, Smart Business, and Thought Leaders. Welcome, Ron. That's quite a bio. <laughs> well, thanks for reading all of it. That was very kind of you. Wesley and Kim, it's always a pleasure to be in your presence. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm excited for our conversation. Um, what I'd love to do next, with your all's permission, is read uh, just a couple of paragraphs from Radical Respect, which is the paperback version of Just Work that's coming out next May, and get your feedback on it. Create consequences for bullying. Unless leaders create real consequences for bullying, it does work for the bully at the expense of others on the team. As a leader, you have three levers at your disposal conversational consequences, compensation consequences, and career consequences. Today, we're going to talk just about the first one, conversation consequences. Your first response to bullying should be to pull the bully aside and give clear feedback. They might say they were unaware they were crossing a line or simply deny it. Or they may argue some version of, I'm doing what I have to do to get results. If others can't take it, they should find a new place to work. Don't let them off the hook. Reiterate what you noticed and how it affects the team. Then explain that if the behavior continues, it will be noted in their performance review and may affect compensation and even their future at your company. If the person who engaged in bullying does it again, you must follow through with the consequences you outlined. It's equally important to follow up with the people who were bullied to understand how they experienced the situation and to let them know you have their back. All right, lay it on me. What do you all think? Wesley, you want to hit it? I was going to say that the, the, the following through is so important. Um, I was listening um, or, or reading a study, I think it was out of Canada, but they really 
looked at uh, several different ways in which um, work situations can be unequal. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said that it makes those who bully and those who kind of like dominate and don't get any consequences that uh, they try, they don't try as hard. Yeah. And people who get bullied, they also don't try as hard because there, since there's no consequences for, um, for being like a, a really bad employee, then there's no reason to try to be a really good employee. Um, yeah. And the opposite is true. Um, and so it, it doesn't just hurt uh, the people who don't get punished um, or the people who have to experience the bullying. It hurts everyone. And so I totally agree that uh, having a conversation, being upfront, but making sure you follow through is one of the, the biggest things that can make an impact here. Yeah, absolutely. Ron? Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the things I think that um, bullying is something that is so painfully misunderstood and underestimated in workplaces. Yeah. Um, we, I actually did a bunch of research with someone from, uh, with Ludmila Praslova for an HBR study on workplace bullying. Mm-hmm. And we identified a taxonomy of 15 types of bullying and eight types of domains that bullying takes place in. Wow. To actually break down the nuances of this. Most of us think of this, the screamer, the stapler thrower, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They exist, but they know how to hide. Yep. But bullying is much more nuanced and it takes, takes place in much more um, insidious ways. And so you have to know what, you know, what you're looking for to recognize it. And I think um, you have to ask, if you, if you're hesitant to confront it, you have to ask yourself, what's the price I'm willing to tolerate here? Yeah. Uh, because most of us sort of go into bystander effect of thinking, well, everybody has a bad day yeah. or they're, yeah. they're getting, they're just trying to get results yeah, whatever. She didn't a lot mean of any harm, or he's they, a good they, guy. They, they apologized. They sent flowers, like yeah. most abusive husbands do. Um, but you have to really calculate the long-term cost of tolerating behavior that undermines the dignity of anybody in any way for any reason, even once. Um, and you have to decide the cost tolerance is zero. Just it's zero. Period. End of story. Um, because once you give them, this is a classic case. Of, if you give a moose a muffin, right? You manage. It, it's it. They have, you, you, have, you have given them carte blanche permission. What, to, wait, what, wait, can we go back? What happens if you <laughs> give a moose a muffin? I've never heard that. Don't you know that, you know that kid story? Oh my I gosh. If, if you give a moose a muffin, it's just one of those. And then, then they want this and they want this, they yeah, want this, okay. they want this, they want this. <laughs> um, and so it's one of those, you, you, you can't, the unraveling never ends. Yeah. yeah. So you, ha- you have got to make your intolerance completely clear. Yeah, or make um, the consequences completely. And make the consequences, you know. Yeah. And and I I actually find that one of the the one of the best consequences of uh, for bullying is shame. Is hmm. is is actual? And I know, and there's most psychologists would never ever say that shame. Yeah, I'm I, fascinated it, because I got a long lecture from a psychologist when I was writing which, this, which is different than guilt, right? So guilting shame, somebody, says, guilt, and yeah. Um, I actually think. Uh, guilt doesn't work for bullies. From some bullies, for mm-hmm. some some bullies are bully bully out of deep insecurity anyway, and so guilt does work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, making them realize the, the 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 destructive consequences of their choices. But sometimes shame, meaning public embarrassment, mm-hmm. um, a little bit of a taste of their own medicine, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it can actually be very effective for somebody who's just that thick skinned. Mm. Yeah, is that what you're saying? Is that effectively? With shame, if you're saying public embarrassment, 
it is also like a cultural signal saying that this is not allowed. It's a consequence. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. when people get away with something, there are rules that are written. And of course, there's rules that are enforced. But when you observe which ones are bad things, which things are good things, you kind of understand what the real structure of what's being rewarded and what's being punished is just from observation, which is kind of the default culture of the organization. And what you're saying is, is the shame is saying this is not tolerated. And that is actually a reinforcement of the culture in some way. Is that what you mean? Well, I think it's it, it reinforces the culture you want. Yes. Um, well, the culture and, that this is not allowed. And that we just, this is not a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. Now, it may not be the first level you try and pull, but for some people who are manipulators, who are power grabbers, who are, um, who, who use resources to manipulate. I mean, this, again, anytime, uh, and, and you say this in the, in your book, Kim, it's often a power differential that starts it. But anytime you, you, you take it, you exploit a power differential to get self, to indulge self-interest or some other gain at, yeah. at someone else's, at the expense of someone's dignity. Yeah. Um, it, that's bullying. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't have to scream and yell at them in public or throw a stapler at their head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For it to be bullying. Yeah. And I think it's it's really important to remember that very often for the person who's indulging in bullying, it does the reason why I said in the book it works for them is that it for whatever reason it helps them get the results that they're trying to get. But they don't bear the cost. There are negative externalities of bullying, right? So if somebody yells at someone else in a meeting, like if 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 I get really screamed at in a meeting, I, I am knocked off my game for the whole rest of the day. And that and then I bear the consequences of that, not the person who screamed at me. Uh, and so and so that I think is is the cost that needs the the bully needs to, the person who indulged in that behavior needs to bear that cost, not the person who was who was harmed by the behavior and not by the whole not the whole team. I mean, there's a I got some feedback on, but very often people talk about that person on the team who gets results but leaves a trail of dead bodies in their in their wake. Yeah. Now that I was I've been working on my nonviolent language, so they leave a trail of harm in their wake. Uh, but, but I think that that we've all, we've all worked with that person, I think. Well, and, and you know, one of the, I'm grateful that I don't often have to work with executives who are that bad, but I do mm-hmm. work with executives sometimes who don't understand how to use their power well, or mm-hmm. who don't understand the consequences of their own drip, drip results orientation or their drivenness or their own insecurities and how those manifest. And one of the, and, you know, I, I start with the assumption that most people who are bullies actually don't intend to be bullies. They intend something else. And mostly it's to engineer a certain reaction. It's to self-protect. It's some other need they believe they're meeting. That they're actually not, right? They, yeah. they, and so I, the, one of the questions I love to ask clients that I work with after a moment that, you know, maybe they're obtuse to, to say, tell me what you were trying to accomplish when you said the following in that meeting. Yeah. And they'll often like, well, what do you mean? I don't remember it. And I'll say, well, you, you, these are the words you used. This is how you said it. This is the tone you said it in. Tell me what you wanted to accomplish. And they already know that I'm on to something, right? Well, I was yeah. just trying to make my point clear because I felt like they weren't yeah. listening to me. Yeah. Okay. So you wanted to be heard. Yes. yes. Did you feel like you accomplished that? Well, 
you obviously think I wasn't. I said, I can tell you that not only were you not heard, what you told people was the following. And what you yeah. told Susan was really yeah. the following. Yeah. Yeah. And suddenly they, they're like, oh, you know, okay, when you put it that way. I'm like, no, that's, that's, that's not the way you put it. That's what happened. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what happened. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, and usually you give them a minute and they'll go, okay, my script says your next line is I'm sorry. Go down yeah. to Susan's office and apologize. Let yeah. other people hear you do it. That what you, what happened in there was not really what you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think there's, I think before you ask someone to apologize, it's a good idea to make sure they truly understand what they did. Yeah. Right. You know, because if it comes across as obligatory, it's, ter- yeah. it's right. disgusting. I'm sorry you felt that way. You know, yeah. it's yeah. not going <laughs> to. All right. I, sorry I yelled it, but I still mean what I said yeah. Uh, yeah. is another thing. Um, where they don't understand. It's not always well, just a delivery. Well, Sometimes it is. I'm not, actually, I'm not actually sorry saying. for what I said. I'm just sorry for how I said it. Yeah. 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 And actually, I mean, so I want to pause on that for a moment because sometimes, sometimes that's not a bad thing to say. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes sure. I don't want to, like I'm, ch- I'm ch- and now I'm going to veer into radical candor talk, but there are times when I'm challenging directly, like I'm saying something, I believe something but I said it in the worst possible way. In fact, I recently did this. It's so embarrassing uh, that I did this, but I was in a major conflict with someone and I had talked to them a couple of times and, and they kept, I, I kind of felt like they were bullying me. They kept like, they, they were not listening. And so what I did was I wrote an extremely pointed and detailed and angry email and sent it to them and 30 of their colleagues. <laughs> Why did I do that? It was so bad. So I was kind of responding to bullying with bullying and now I'm the jerk, you know? And so, so, so I think it's, but what I wish I had done is gone back. And what I needed to do is say, look, I agree with everything I said, but I should not have sent it in an email and I definitely should not have sent it to 30 people. And I'm really sorry about that. But what I'm saying, (laughs) I still, we still need to talk about. Yeah. You know, well, I think just the difference is the I would say in the the what 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 Ron was saying in terms of now what did you mean what'd you do it seems like that was all a broke it was a breakdown and what yeah. they wanted to do did not accomplish that both in substance and delivery yeah. um, and so the so understanding that if if it's one or the other yes apologize for one you could have done wrong but also i would like to just also emphasize that um the power dynamic or imbalance matters a lot as well and i'm not sure what your power dynamic was kim but if someone is in a leadership position to be fair to me so if someone is more powerful than the person that they're speaking to then i would say that it means that you have to have more care yes Rather, yes, and so, absolutely. and so I can only I can understand where you're coming from, Kim. But it is it's important, or it's incumbent on those in the leadership position to make sure that they are taking care of the people that report to them, knowing that the consequences for their speech is going to be greatly diminished than the consequences of those that uh, that are under their charge. I would say. Yeah. You know what's yeah. really hard about that, Wesley? Um, and it's part of the series of articles we did for HBR, and I put both links in the chat in case you want to include them in the page, was the whole phenomenon of upward bullying. And we did a whole separate piece just focused on that because most people don't assume bullying can happen upwardly, but it does. Um, mm-hmm. And when yes. you have managers 
who are being bullied by those they lead. It, it often happens in conspiratorial group bullying. Um, it's yeah. a really insidious thing. And the person above you, especially when they're end running you and going to the person above you and leveraging your boss to bully you, mm-hmm. it's a really disgusting phenomenon. But now the power differentials are really upside down. And the person that's being bullied often continues to forfeit the power that they have because they because they feel they feel shame and guilt for not being able to control their people and they don't want to look that way to their boss. And so sometimes the power differential isn't hierarchical uh, in the way we think it is. It's mobbing. I think Wesley and I it's did mobbing. a talk. Yep. Yeah, it's a, yep. it, we we did a, an episode on that recently, uh, and and that is a that is. I think mobbing is easier also now thanks to social media and to all yep. these tools that we have. And so that's um, that's I think a really important point. I also think that leaders feel more vulnerable today for whatever reason than they have in the past. And now whether they should or they shouldn't, but you know, is an open debate. Uh, but I think leaders, uh, some of the leaders I've worked with have felt that they've themselves been bullied because it's, uh, it is easy for people to mob easier for people to mob sure. them than in the past. And the other thing about upward bullying is I think as an underrepresented leader, uh, this mm. can put you in a hard spot. Uh, so like I had this guy that worked for me who I was giving him some critical feedback on a project he was working on. And I said, you know, what could I do or stop doing that would help make this help get this project back on track? It's like, I'm, I've told this story before, but you are the most aggressive woman. And so he's now using, <laughs> using my gender to push back against my, my, my feedback and that's tricky because on the one hand, you know, I want to be open to, I want to lay my power down and be open to his feedback. I don't want to use my power against him. And on the other hand, I want to let him know it's not okay to talk to to any, you know, woman at the company in that way. So, um, you know, Wesley, I bet you have had some ex- different experiences, but similar as a black man, uh, as a black man who's leading people. I'm guessing. Yeah. I, yes. Um, <laughs> that's the hard thing is that you have to be able to find the truth in that feedback. Yes. Uh, yeah. You got to find the negative truth. Um, I've dealt with this just recently um, where it it's the, sometimes people in order to, when you have these huge opposing forces um, being able to pull out the nuggets, making sure that they're heard, hopefully helps soften that aggression to the point where you can have a structured conversation about the things that do have substance. And then sometimes there's a reflection on, okay, well, yes, that was a little harsh. Um, what is the what is the saying? Um, people don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. And so yes. you can, you can, as a leader, kind of on credit. <laughs> give yeah. out that care yeah. uh, on loan uh, and then hopefully it'll get paid back. Um, but if someone is so uh, caught up in this narrative in their head mm-hmm. that the structure or this, this facade that they see and calling that that's to the nugget and, and kind of like dehumanizing you in a way yeah, uh, because they're so caught up in their, their persona of you, um, then those are really, really hard Nuxta crack, but then um, I, I hear what you're saying, and it, it's extremely difficult to actually 
take the high road. Um, but it is really important to draw those boundaries and those lines. Um, but you don't have to do that right away. You can st yeah. still, there's still time to do that depending on, uh, yeah, you can pause. Uh, yeah. And just like, is, is that what you really want to say right now? Is that, is that the sentiment that yeah. you, that you want to come across? That's, is that the main feedback in this section that you want to give me? Is that the thing I should remember from this conversation? Yeah. Um, hopefully that lets them also take a pause and mm. to, get out of system one and move into system two and get into some yeah. critical thinking. Exactly. Or you can do some version of what we were talking about before. Like you can look for the nugget of truth. Like I, I agree that I can be impatient. However, I, my gender shouldn't factor into, you know, you pushing back on the feedback. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so there's, there may be a, a nugget of truth in there. And there's also, um, you know, if you're separating the wheat from the chaff, there's a grain of truth, which is I can be impatient. And there's a whole lot of biased chaff, which we need to dispense with. Yes. Um, all right, Ron, do you have a story for us that you're willing to share? We can use the the yeah. radical respect taxonomy, bias, prejudice, bullying, discrimination, harassment, or it's, physical violation. Probably, this story probably falls along a couple of those lines. But okay. it was a, and it was a big wake up call to me. Okay. Um, uh, so I've been involved the last the last three and a half years with a group called White Men for Racial Justice, and mm -hmm. it's a, a national community of men come together to understand that people who look like us play a disproportionate role in dis unleveling the playing field, mm -hmm. and we should play a disproportionate role in releveling it. Part of what got me noticing this was years before the group came together. Um, I, I was living in Seattle at the time, and I was walking into my bank. We actually still went to banks. Mm -hmm. um, and a gentleman walked in before me and there was one of those, you know, lovely retired for 20 years, Greek reader types there. Yeah. And I watched her greet this gentleman. She said, hi, welcome in. Do you have an account with us? I thought it was a strange question, but he nodded. And so she suggested for him to go into the teller line. And I came right behind him and getting ready to qualify my visit. She said, hi, welcome in. And she gestured me to go in the teller line. I was like, why didn't I have to answer that question? Yes, that. Yeah. And I looked ahead and I, just this sickening feeling came over me as I realized that because his skin color was different than mine, he was asked that question. And it, I just had all these trigger, like I was just, I wanted to punch her. Yeah. But she, I would have killed her probably. I didn't understand. I didn't even understand why she would even do that. Um, I just, I, but I watched his head sink. And so I went up to him, I got behind him and I just put my hand on his shoulder. And I said, I am so sorry that happened. I think he was shocked that I noticed. But I had time to think about what, I, what, what am I going to do here? Um, yeah. But I let my anger get the better of me. I mean, I could have. But so anyway, after I finished my transaction, I went to the manager. Is she dead? Did you hit her? No, I, uh, I don't think she's employed there anymore. I went oh. to the manager. Um, and I, I, you know, in a, in, a, in a better version of myself, could have explained the situation and compelled him to make sure that didn't happen again and that she was obviously needed to be trained. Yeah. But that's not what I did. <laughs> I, I shamed him for employing someone like that, the, that he would allow that to happen in his bank. And I told him that if I came in here again and she was still here, I would no longer be a customer. And I wow. left. And I, you know, I'm, I, of course, the whole time I'm going, do you not see the hypocrisy here? Do you not see the hypocrisy yeah. here? You're being a hypocrite. <laughs> but I just couldn't like let it go. Yeah. Because um, I, I just, because I, I, I had, I had really never, well, this is probably not even true. I, 
I had never noticed that I'd seen it. I'm sure I'd seen it and just now I didn't have the eyes to recognize it. But the, the first time I'm actually seeing systemic racism right in front of me in my own town. And from a little old sweet lady, probably with somebody's great grandmother. And um, responded by taking a sledgehammer to kill a fly. And, you know, I have wrestled with that ever since. You know, I'm now, you know, post that five years of my own work and my own understanding of my privilege and how my skin color and my gender have, you know, have benefited from that. And, um, living in a narrative of racial hierarchy that allows me to experience things I shouldn't and you know, privileges that I haven't earned. I think today I think today I would handle that situation much differently. Um, I hope. But um it, it made a very sobering mark on me uh when it happened. Yeah. And wow, thank you for the sharing. Irony that story. Of the power that she had. Yeah. And the the lack of sheer awareness of how she was hurting somebody. Um the fact that she thought she was doing the right thing for the bank. Um didn't give it a thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. just all was came screaming in division, you know, at that moment. This, this reminds me of the, some of the stories where, um, I mean, I sure I have this, I'm sure everyone has this, where you can think about something that happened with an interaction between you and a parent. And it was devastating. Like, oh my God, do you remember that one time? And then the parent was like, I have no clue what you're talking about. No memory. Um, and, 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 oh, you mean that thing? That was nothing. Or they, if, if they remember. And I wonder if that for this, this older woman, if she, when she was let go or when she found out if she even knows what happened, if she learned or if she regretted that choice, or did she just become more bitter about how things are and how the world has become so judgmental? Um, and how she didn't do anything wrong. I, I'm really curious about the when people are in those areas where, once again, we talked about, like you mentioned, the apology. Uh, do they really understand what they're apologizing for? When someone is being punished for their action, do they really understand um, what they're being punished for? And um I guess we'll never know, but that's something that sticks in my mind. And that's what makes me think when I it's hear a, stories like that. About, and I, honestly, yeah. I have no idea. Well, I never went back to follow up with the manager, what he did. If he, I'm not even sure he even confronted her. Um, you know, I, I, I fired them as my bank shortly after that because they were so incompetent anyway. Um, it was, I won't mention their name, but they were voted the worst company in America three years in a row. Wow. That's an honor that you have to work hard to get. <laughs> I've uh, heard of a bank that just opened accounts just in case you needed one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I wonder if it's it. the same bank. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's what, what are the, if we want to change the systems that continue to promote a narrative of racial hierarchy and privilege, and those are the ways they show up. How do you, unless you confront it in some way, even with a lot of love and grace, how do you help people see that this is in our pores? Like, you know, it doesn't, I don't, do I think for a minute she was a, <laughs> a bigot and a, um, a, you know, a horrible racist, whatever. No, I don't think that at all. I think she probably would, anybody that came to her house would probably get a nice cup of coffee and a cookie. Yeah. Um, but does it make it any better if that man still felt yeah. really hurt? And I'm sure that man was probably had a lifetime of stories like that. and was tired of having to justify anything he did. Um, and yeah. so, 
And and I think that most or I mean it's so uh it is so at some level enjoyable to find a person to blame. Uh which is the problem with I think shaming and and guilt. When often the problem is that this person was not trained, you know? Right. And and so that's a but it's really not it's not nearly as satisfying to go to the to the manager and say I think you need to have better training for your greeters as it is to say, fire that person. You know, this thing happened and, and cause we're, it, we're, it's so deeply ingrained in us to look for the bad person, look for the bad guy. Who's the bad guy. Who's yeah. the good guy. And, and, and the fact of the matter is so much of what happens are the systems. I had a, a similar right. situation. I was giving a talk with Trier Bryant, who I co-founded a company with. And I walked in, it was at a com big conference and I walked in, you know, dressed, she dresses way better than I do. I walked in in my jeans, my schlumpy jeans and my, um, you know, and no credentials. And someone came up to me, handed me a bottle of water and said, how can we help you? And then she walked in right after me looking like she belonged, uh, at least in terms of her clothing, but it was, you know, it was a predominantly white conference. And, and they asked her for her credentials and I was so angry and I, and I, but I sent, because, you know, she and I talked about it. I sent, she said, don't blame the person, tell them they need to train people better. So luckily I had Trier to warn me to do the right thing. Cause I probably would have done what, what you did, Ron. And, and is I, so I, I sent a very carefully worded email and actually Trier looked at it and said, yeah, this is good. It stays. How many on were me. on that email list? <laughs> <laughs> I just sent it to the person who invited me. And all 5,000 attendees. <laughs> yeah. 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 I said, I, and I said, actually, I'm not going to put this on social media. We're not, like, but we want you to fix it. And the immediate response was who was the person? And I said, you missed the point of it. But I also want to have some compassion for that person because that is our instinctive yeah. go-to response is who can I punish? And that's why creating systems that create consequences for people's sort of behavior is what is is what will help us get out of get get out of this situation where where bullying gets rewarded. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I, I often think about that woman. I see her face to this day. I think about, you know, her attempt to be sweet and she was trying to greet people. And I think about, you know, for the, for the seven, um, 70 something years of her life, how she was, what, what society trained her to be and think yeah, uh, that led her to do that. Yeah. I'm sure unconsciously. And while I, I agree with the assistant part, Kim, I also think that if done in a kind way, she'd want to know. Yeah. She'd want the person that greeted your at the conference would want to know that they unintentionally did something harmful. Or or and, maybe they wouldn't. I mean, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna always assume good intent. But yes, most the the vast majority of people would want to know so they can fix it. And if they didn't fix it, that's a, we have a different problem now, yeah, right? Yes, exactly. But it's and much more clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's I think why it's so useful to distinguish between bias, prejudice, and bullying. So let's start by assuming these greeters were what was going on was unconscious bias. And then if you train them properly and and remind offer enough reminders, then they change their behavior. 
and also, if you'd like set up a system where you tell them, you give them a script and you tell everybody the same thing. <laughs> Can I help you with your credentials? Or you give, if you give one person a bottle of water, you give everybody a bottle of water, you know? And uh, so, so you set up the system so that they're less likely to do it. And then if someone does it anyway, and you give them feedback and they're like, but, you know, they justify it, then you know you need not education, but consequences. Right. Right. Exactly. But I think it's so interesting. We both had stories of responding to, you know, bad behavior with worse behavior. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because well, I, I mean, I what does that I, say about our desire to be advocates? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think what it like the problem is, uh, is it it's at least for me, I'm not going to, you can d- diagnose yourself run, but I think the problem for me is that I was centering myself and I, as a white person, felt ashamed that white people behave that way. And so I wanted to go uh, punish someone as opposed to fixing the system. Uh, and that's, I mean, for that, that that's was the me. problem that was with me. I was, I was angry, but it was, it was self, it wasn't righteous anger. It was self-righteous anger. Yeah. Yes. And I, I didn't have the tools at the point to know how to regulate that and make a different choice. Mm. Yeah. And so, so there's, then- there's a lot of, there's a rush in justified anger or appeared to have yes. justified anger because then you can point it at a direction, let it go and then feel like a relief. Like I got it all out. I don't have to live with this. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, to, to like deal with these emotions and these uncomfortable feelings. I can instead give it to someone else. Yeah. And so that is really addicting and really tempting. And it's really hard not to kind of fall for that. Uh, bait of being able to participate in that way of just saying, you made me feel this way. So I'm going to make you or this other person or someone else that deserves this ire uh, feel the same thing that I felt. Yeah. I think that's the real risk of self-righteous shaming is that, is that now I'm in, you know, I'm, my amygdala has hijacked my executive function. And then when I'm in that self-righteous shaming mode, I respond to bias with bullying. And that only makes the problem worse. It doesn't worse. make it Well, better. and the worst thing to do, especially as a white person, is all you're doing is virtue signaling. Yes. You're just telling the world, look how much I care about people who are historically marginalized. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which, you know. Have you ever had experience with white people like that, Wesley? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, in the last 40 just, minutes. The only times this week. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, probably an unfair question. But yes, it happens, I think, far too often. I, I think sometimes it's just hard. I mean, listen, when it comes to this stuff, white people are inherently dumb. We're, we're just not that smart about this stuff. And so we never know what side of the line we're on. Even with, with good intentions, we can often put ourselves on the wrong sides of those lines. And I often struggle, you know, as I've done this work and learned a lot about where I fail, have wondered, is it better to just try, even if you step out online the wrong way or just hold back? You, this is never a right answer. I, I think for me anyway, I could say that um, being othered doesn't feel good. Yeah. If someone's trying to, even if someone's trying to relate to your experience and just saying, I don't have to deal with this, it must be, horrible. I mean, being othered in that conversation with someone who you don't have that relationship feels uncomfortable. Um, the, the, the part of it, um, that is like, let's, let's get past that part and you're having a conversation. The part of it is that when those conversations do happen, it's very important to understand 
that these aren't just things that happen. These are sometimes defining moments of one's life. Yeah. And when a, a, a casual conversation can really touch on some scarring, triggering topics. And so if, it, if one was to participate in that conversation, it's very important to understand that you could be really, really messing someone up mentally for a moment, for a while, by bringing up these emotions or these things. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things to, to keep in mind. If you, you have to have this level of, I guess, care, and you have to have this level of awareness that when you're talking to someone who's, let's just say in most cases, some, it could be victims of a crime. Yeah. Um, maybe not one reported or one that's talked about, but think of it from that perspective that someone was abused or someone was attacked or someone was harmed and that talking about this or bring it up could be tapping into either those unresolved emotions or some of the self-blaming during those times, those time periods. It's so brilliantly said, Wesley. And the thing I want to punctuate that you said, it was your first prepositional phrase was with whom you have the relationship. And I think that's, we often take, we so flippantly take for granted a level of intimacy with somebody that we don't have and haven't earned our right to have that conversation. And, and at the very least, ask permission to have it. Yeah, because you want to make sure there's a follow-up. Let's say I'm just left in a puddle and I have some unresolved issues. I would love to be able to go back to the person. Now, if we're just in line at Starbucks and this comes up, that's not going to give an opportunity for me to be able to re-engage if I need to. I think I think also it's useful though. I mean, at least when I am the person who's harmed by this behavior, I'll say what's useful for me, and then I'd be I'd be interested to hear what's useful for you all. But when I'm in a situation where where someone has said or done something that is biased and sort of upsetting, it's really helpful to me if someone else comes up and says, "Gosh, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> that was weird," uh, because. Yeah. Because it is weird. And if nobody says anything, I I start to feel like, am I the only one who noticed that? It it starts to feel like gaslighting. So I think uh, my, if, if I were that, if I were the person ahead of you in line at the bank, I would have appreciated you coming up and saying, I'm so sorry that happened. That was, that was weird. Um, But, but you don't know how that person felt, you know, it's probably, uh, you know, uh, it's probably was probably the right thing to do, but but you don't you just don't know, and that's uh, so I try to err on the side of saying something rather yeah. than pretending that nothing happened. Right, but but that's not a hundred percent of the time the right thing. I, to I, do. My hope was that he would feel seen, that he would feel like you know it, it wasn't a minor little three second moment um, for him, and and that someone who looks like me noticed it and thought it was wrong. I wanted I was not going to make the moment go away, but yeah. I at least wanted him to feel like somebody cared enough to see that it. he wasn't alone. Yeah, and acknowledge that that yeah. was unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I was very conscious to make sure that he did not know I was going to the manager. Um, yeah, I didn't say I'm going to go talk to the manager because I didn't. That would be really condescending. And you're putting on him the consequences right. that yeah. Right. So I wanted. I waited till he left before I did that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, I, when I think about the times I've been othered, uh, you know, so, so most people think for white men, that shouldn't be much of an issue, but it actually is more, most white men marginalize ourselves, right? We're, because we're so, we're racialized and genderized to, to not belong. We don't know how to, belonging is not our gift. Um, I actually, 
have a, a piece coming out in Newsweek next week. You mean you're raci- racialized to belong or, or to not belong. To, not, to control the belonging of others, but I think ah, but like not, the, like your belonging is assumed and therefore. Well, but it's not based on actual belonging. It's not based on mutual co-creation of vulnerability or connection. It's, it's based, based on, on exclusion, the power to the power to exactly. exclude. And and most people think that you know inclusion is a byproduct of belonging, but the reality is that when white people invite people into an exclusive space, it doesn't feel inclusive. It feels like a favor. Um, and yes. so uh, I, I, wrote a, I wrote a piece with a, a woman from uh, UVA. It actually comes out in Newsweek next week called When White Men Learn How to Belong, They Become Better Allies. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's based on these three years of watching these 400 men learn how to belong. But what I find when people try to other me um, or when I've been othered for being a white man, um, I, I, um, I go, I, so I use humor. I actually go to def- this deflecting defensive mode rather than letting myself feel hurt. I actually make a joke. Um, it's sort of my, my own defense mechanism. Uh, and I've noticed that, that over, over several years that that's my first go-to is to sort of make light of it. Um, and I've tried to figure out what, what is it, what, what's the, what am I telling myself that that's doing as a disarming mechanism or, you know, <laughs> you didn't hurt me. <laughs> um, um, it's, it's like, uh, did you watch Nanette by Hannah Gadsby? I didn't. Very, very different. So, so, uh, she is a gay woman and she talks about this sort of horrible thing that happened to her and how she told the, how she turned it into a joke and, and never told the second half of the story. And then in this, it's, it's really powerful, but, it, but, but it's about the, a, a misuse of humor, which is to sort of distance yourself yeah. uh, from, from your own feelings and from yourself. It's like self alienation. And, and that's, I, I'm sure that's what I'm doing. I did it once in real time to, uh, we, uh, it was a, a pitching a client, you know, we, several people, several firms were in this place. It was a large cosmetic country, cosmetics company. And this woman from France, Gabrielle was her name. And she was um, uh, sort of, every, every vendor got 45 minutes to go into their pitch. And these two women had gone before me and I was last. And she, she walked them in and out. She was warm. She was affable. They got coffee, whatever. She came out to me and suddenly the temperature like dropped 40 degrees. You know, next. I'm like, <laughs> I'm walking in and it's like, she's on her phone. She's not looking at me. And I'm like, and her two people on her team, I would feel awkward. I'm like, should I start? And it was, I mean, clearly something was diff- different here. Wow. And so I did my, and, and we typically like, you, you know, we don't do like 20 slides. It's like three slides. And then we just have a conversation. Like, how can we be helpful? And I knew what she was, that this was a pretty big deal for her, this project politically rife with risk and big for her career. Anyway. So, she was on her phone most of the time, wasn't even paying attention to what I was saying. At the end, she sort of, you know, a couple her colleagues asked some questions. And at the end, she said, look, let me just ask, why do you think you're the right consultant for this job? And I'm like, I got a big choice to make here right now. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to. And I had all kinds of feelings of something had gone wrong. Somebody had, you know, she was, somebody had just died. And who knows? Yeah, I said, well, honestly, Gabrielle, to be perfectly honest with you, given the way the last 20 minutes have gone, I'm not sure that I am. Um, I, I can't help but notice the, the very large contrast between how you treated the last two consultants and how you treated me. Um, I don't know what the reason for that is, but there has to be some reason for it. And so until I understand that, I'm not sure I can tell you that I am the right consultant for you. 
and veins and whatever. And she said, okay, fine. You you want me to be honest? I'll be honest. And then she sent her two people out of the room. I'm like, okay, here we go. And she said, I asked for women consultants and your firm told me they're going to send a woman. I'm like, which we didn't. She said, my experience with white men, American consultants. I'm like, oh, there it is. You know, is that they're shysters? We do have a reputation. They come in and tell you what they want to hear. And it's a bait and switch. You come in and tell me everything I want to hear. And then some junior folks will come in here and do crappy work. And just tell me what I want to hear. And I, I was like, well, first of all, I was shocked that she just was honest about it. No wonder she didn't say it in front of her people. Yeah. And I was shocked at my response. I paused for a minute and then I, I literally burst out laughing. Wow. Like I just, because it struck me as so funny. I said, Gabrielle, of all the things you could have said about me that would have been true and reasons to not hire me, worrying about what I'm going to say to you as not being truthful is not the thing anybody has ever worried about me. <laughs> and so I, I'm sorry. Listen, we may never, I may never see you again, but but for whatever it's worth, please, whoever you hire, and it's obviously not going to be me, um, please don't hire somebody that you feel comfortable with because of their gender or because of who they came from. Because this project you told me is rife with all kinds of political risk. Please hire somebody that's going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Um, but trust me when I tell you, there's nobody on this planet who has ever said about me, oh, he only tells you what you want to hear. Um, we shook hands, she was cordial, and I left, assuming that that was done. Um, but at least I felt like she got to experience who I really am, yeah. not the concoction of me that she had in her head. Yeah. Um, uh, and I wasn't at that point sure I wanted the work anyway. Um, but two weeks later, she called and said, my team thinks I should hire you. Wow. Um, and I was like, <laughs> I don't know that I think that, but let's, let's keep talking. <laughs> and did you um, do it? I did. I did the work, and she and she turned out to be just very scared, a very scared woman for for good reasons. It was a very, uh, it was a project that had a lot of political risk to it, and um, I wondered if she was being set up to fail. Um, but it, yeah, I enjoyed her. Um, she knows that I, I changed her name, but I tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it was very. I had never. I'm like, oh my god, there it is. I'm being other right here in the room. Um. And it's not even me. Like she's got, she's got made up some version of me in her head. That but that's always, that's always the case. Which is always what it is. And I'm like, yeah. I do this to people all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't Based feel good. No data. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a, it was a really great experience for me to go, wow, this is what it's like to have to do this. Um, now, the, you know, the privilege I had was I could walk out and, you know, and say what I needed to say and. You know, I, I was a very aware of I could be really angry and defensive right now. I'm not going to help her. She could be someone who's really, really hurt because she just got bad news. And I don't want to overly defer to her because I don't want to make this behavior okay. Um, and so I, in real time, I, I was pouring sweat. My shirt is sopping wet. I look like a yeah. pig. You know, and I'm sure that was obvious to her. Um, and while I'm doing all these gymnastics in my head, the the, the laughter was this, I mean, it looked like a fall was this yeah. almost like this, like a sneeze, like this biological yeah. response that I wasn't even yeah. expecting. Yeah. Which of course just made her enraged. Yeah. Yeah. No laughing. But, yes. Until I, I explained why I was laughing, that I wasn't yeah. laughing at her. Yeah. I was laughing at the, the, the preposterousness of what she was believing. 
Yeah. And I think the difference, I mean, well, Wesley, I'll let you say what's coming. You look like you're having a lot of thought. So I'll let you talk first. And then. Oh, I was just, I was just thinking before, uh, like, I use humor as well as a solve or so a way to like kind of diffuse things. And I, I was wondering if it's like the mental equivalent of a power pose. You seen that you're like, you stand with like the wonder woman pose just so you can gain confidence. I kind of say jokes to kind of make it less serious than how I feel it. And I wonder it's the same way that you're trying to train your brain, but I was just thinking about busting out laughing. It feels, feels like I know that's probably not, good in all cases but it also shows how uh, how preposterous it felt to the point that that feels like that's the only response that really kind of just really uh, puts an exclamation point of exactly how different it is from the form in that person's brain to how you see yourself and, and that and, and I had it was a fun house mirror I had already formed a list of things she could have accused me of that I, I would have felt yeah. like yeah she got me it's true. Yeah. yeah. I was waiting for, I was waiting for those. And so when, when that came, I'm like, wait, you're not going to tell me that I'm, you know, like, like too pushy or yeah, all the things that I would have said, yep, that's me. And yeah. I'm the wrong person. And I had, I, I had, I mean, long before that, but I mean, before I even walked in the room, I had realized, okay, I'm obviously going to get this job. And <laughs> yeah. so there was almost a little bit of a, nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah. At that yeah. point. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to feel like I walked out of there feeling like I was at least a little bit true to myself, um, even if I wasn't a contender for the work. So yeah, at right. least she, yes. she could have gotten some truth out of it. Yeah. Go figure. And, yes. Yeah. And I, I think one thing, another thing to keep in mind is that about that story is that like, if that had happened to you every day of your career, it would have been a lot harder to laugh. Right. <laughs> That's what I was thinking Absolutely. as you were telling That's the story. That's a great like, point. Uh, like I was in a situation where I had this boss who, who wanted, he bought everybody clothes and I've had like throughout my career, I've had a lot of weird things happen about my, <laughs> my clothes and people tell me to dress this way and that way. And, but he did it to the men too. He also wanted to buy the men clothes. And this guy who I worked with was like, why is this such a big deal for you, Kim? I don't really care that much. And it was because it had never happened to him before this <laughs> Somebody tried to buy him clothes, so he thought it was kind of funny. But meanwhile, it was like the fight that I could write a whole book about weird that, like Ted Sorensen, you know, Kennedy's speechwriter, told me I dress like a prostitute. I'm like, and I was wearing a suit my mother had bought me at Ann Taylor. Like I was, I was objectively speaking, you know. So like, and I can I can tell you thirty more stories like that, uh, and that's why it was a big deal that my boss went sure. out and had. Not to mention a little bit insulting. Yeah. Well, yes, it was weird. Did he expect people to actually wear them? Oh, yes. He got mad at me when I didn't wear the tight jeans. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I am now eight minutes late for another meeting. Uh, so I want to thank you both so much uh, for this conversation. I could keep talking for another 45 minutes. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but we'll wrap it up for today and more to come. Awesome. Yes. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you so both for, for your work. Keep up the good work in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if folks have uh, stories they want to share with us, send them to hello at justworktogether.com. Soon we'll have a new email address.